a series. This is probably the longest series that I've done. And you guys have heard me say this before. Usually when I do series, um, we usually go about two to three weeks, maybe four weeks. But we've never gone five to six weeks simply just because I'm ADD and I can't stay on a topic that long. Um, But this one has meant so much to me personally. um, And and I've heard a lot of feedback from you guys. We've been talking about emotions. Um, I've said this every single week, but specifically in the United States, and I would make an argument probably globally across the world, um, we are dealing with a mental health crisis. People are more depressed than they've ever been. People are more anxious than they've ever been. And if we're quite honest, a lot of us don't know how to deal with it. And church usually isn't talking about it. Usually when you deal with something mental, when you deal with some depression, you usually get some overly spiritual answer that says, go pray more and allow God to meet you. How many know that doesn't really help you? You're like, I need some practical steps. Like, what does the scripture say about this? Do the scriptures offer anything about this? So we've been diving through these different emotions. We've talked about anxiety. We've talked about depression. We've talked about shame. Um, we, last week, I did uh, the part one, which I've never done this before, but I opened up a part one of a sermon, and I'm going to give you part two. So last week, we actually talked about anger. Um, so one of the things that I said was simply this. There's maybe people in this room that have never dealt with depression, they've never dealt with anxiety, maybe you've never dealt with those things, but every single person in this room has dealt with anger, right? Um, Let somebody cut, you're like, I don't deal with anger, let somebody cut you off in traffic. You deal with anger. So what we did is I broke this up into two separate parts where we talked about unrighteous anger last week because I made the argument that that's probably where most of us fall, right? When we get angry, it's usually an anger that leads us to sin. So what I want to talk about this morning is righteous anger, like the right type of anger because the truth is God gave us this emotion and it can be redeemed. It can be something that is used for good. It can be something that helps us prosper and other people prosper. But the truth is, it can be a difficult emotion to try to dissect. Because oftentimes when we're angry, the thing that we want to do, because we feel like some injustice has been done to us, we want to retaliate. We want revenge. How many of you, when somebody does something horrible to you, you're just like, "Mm, I'll just take that. Like, you want revenge, right? You're like, no, no, you hurt me, and now you're plotting. (laughs) You're planning, you're scheming, you're thinking, how do I get this person back? Let me give you an example of what righteous anger is. About seven years ago, I worked in the film industry professionally, Um, filming for this big company, doing hunts and outdoor channel stuff. And it was a cool job. I got to travel a lot. And uh, as I was working for this company, um, the more and more that I kind of worked my way up into it, the more and more that I, I started to travel. Well, as you start to travel, the more and more that I got to know my boss, because I would travel with him a lot. And um, he would always have these new ideas of different TV shows and different things that we were going to film. And he had this bright idea one day. He said, hey, listen, what I want to do is I want to start the show off in this restaurant that's also like this strip club. And he's like, I want you to film it. And I'm like, uh. And I remember in there, I'm like, man, first of all, this goes against my convictions. Second of all, it's going to go against the commitment that I've made to my wife. Right? Because I don't want to walk in that place and then have to hide something. Hey, what'd you do this weekend? Filming? <laughs> and so I remember being trapped. I remember being trapped because he looked at me and he said, If you don't do this job, I'm going to fire you. 
So he's trying to pressure me. He's trying to scare me. So now I'm thinking, okay, well, how am I going to, I got to support my family. How can I support my family if I'm fired? And so I take a few moments, I step back, like, God, what am I going to do about this? And I remember in that moment, instead of being fearful, all of a sudden I got angry. But not an anger like I wanted to hurt him, but it was an anger like, this isn't right. Like, I should not have to compromise my convictions because you're wanting me to film this. So I remember coming up to him, and I just said, hey, man, if you want to film that, that's, I'm not trying to control your life, but you're going to have to find a new guy that's going to have to go in and do that. And I, said, and I told him, I said, if, if you need to fire me, then you're going to have to fire me. And, and here's what happened. In that moment, I learned something significant. I stood up to him because I was angry about something. Did he fire me in the end? Nope. He was just making a threat. He was making like some kind of gesture that was saying, if you don't do this, this is what's going to happen. And here's what I learned in that moment. That was a righteous anger. An anger that compelled me to say, you know what? I've got to stand up for my convictions in this moment. An anger that made me think about my wife and the repercussions that I would suffer if I would go into that place. The insecurity that I would have to build back up in her. The trust that I would have to build back up in her. See, the truth is righteous anger warns us of something. It invites and it wounds for the greater work of redemption. So so here's what this means. Righteous anger allows the fence to be seen as an issue between them and God, not necessarily an issue between you and another person. And it's a completely different paradigm shift when we see it this way. Think about it for a moment. Now you see other people's issues as their issues, their issues that they need to present to the Lord instead of you being angry going, well, my anger is justified in this moment and my issue is between us and them. So my anger is gonna compel me to solve this situation by biting their head off, (laughs) right? And all of a sudden you begin to see it in a completely different light that, wait, hold on. Their issues are, are their issues, and those issues are between them and God. And so here's what this should call you to do. This is the action it should call you to take. It should take you to your knees and say, God, I pray that you would move in that person's heart so that they can see you in a way that they've never seen you before. But how many of you know sometimes our anger takes us to a place where we feel like we need to be the Holy Spirit for other people? God, I'm just so angry about this, so I need to tell them. And if I don't tell them, they're going to go down a path that's not going to be good. You ever felt that way? Parents, maybe you felt that way with your kids. Maybe you felt that way with your parents, or maybe you felt that way with a friend. But it's a completely different paradigm shift when you realize that they need God just as much as you do. (laughs) That ultimately, their issues, they got to do the same thing that you have to do, that you have to lay that before the Lord and say, God, I don't know how I'm dealing with this or how I'm walking through this, but would you please help me walk through this situation? See, instead of praying that God would curse them, because that's the unrighteous anger, righteous anger says, God, I pray that you would open their eyes. God, I pray that there would be a redemptive work in this. See, righteous anger is willing to struggle and wait. It's willing to struggle and wait. It's willing to know the issues in somebody else and step back in prayer and go, God, I pray that you would do only what you could do in that person. But how many of you know we love control as human beings? We like to go, God, like, I've been praying, but they're not doing anything. (laughs) They're not moving. They're not changing, right? Maybe you see this with a spouse. Like, you're like, God, I've been praying for years. Like, I'm just praying that you would change his mind. 
right? I'm praying that you would shift something in them and God's silent. You ever feel like that? And then what does it do? It brings you to a place where you start getting angry, right? Instead of allowing that anger to become unrighteous, what if you harnessed it and it became righteous anger? Saying, you know what? I'm sick and tired of allowing the enemy to deceive me. I'm sick and tired of allowing the enemy to twist my thoughts, to get me to believe things that are not true. I'm sick and tired of making up things in my mind and thinking, because that's the worst thing about anger sometimes, right? You begin to believe your own lies that were never true in the first place, and now you're angry at somebody for something that they never did, right? And so by the time you got to go apologize, you're apologizing for all these scenarios that never happened and things that you're angry about. Righteous anger does this. It begs you to answer or answer the question, what do I need to understand about myself? That all of a sudden when you feel that fury, (laughs) when you feel that anger, when you feel that, that emotion rising up in you, God is actually calling you in that moment to say, God, what's really going on inside? What am I really angry at? What am I really frustrated at? Here's what Psalm 77, listen to the force of anger confusion in his voice, okay? Psalm 77, verse six through nine. My heart meditated and my spirit asked, will the Lord reject forever? You ever feel that way? Like, God, where are you? Will he never show his favor again? You ever feel like you've been doing the right things that God's called you to do? And you're like, God, have I fallen out of favor with you? I'm following you. And then watch what he says. Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? And then he asks the last question. Has he in anger withheld his compassion? See, righteous anger, sorry, unrighteous anger, you have to hear me on this. Unrighteous anger causes you to forget the faithfulness of the past. Unrighteous anger gets you so stuck in that moment. You're angry in that moment. You're asking the same question as the psalmist. God, are you going to reject me forever? Are you never going to show your favor again? Where's your compassion? You know, when I find myself stuck in hard times in the present day, you know what I have to learn to do? I have to go back to the past and remember how God has been faithful and how he's provided for me in the past how he's met me in moments where I thought I was about to fall apart. And then I got to remember, oh my goodness, the same God that met me in the past is going to be the same God that meets me in the future. Now, in Psalm 77, you see the psalmist, you see David asking all these questions. But what I love about this psalm, if you read down a few more verses, his focus begins to shift. He's asking God, where are you? Have you left me? Have you abandoned me? And then watch what he says in verse 10. He says, then I thought, to this I will appeal. The years when the Most High stretched out his right hand. Watch this. I will, what? Remember the deeds of the Lord. I will remember your miracles long ago. See, righteous anger causes you to remember the goodness of God in difficult times. It causes you to remember that, yes, I may be stuck in a difficult situation. Yes, I may have some anger in this, but instead of 
suppressing it. The righteous anger is calling you and inviting you to go, God, what's going on in my soul? Maybe it is okay to be a little frustrated about where I'm at and a little angry about where I'm at, but you know you can still do that and not sin? You can still be frustrated about the lies that you've believed, and you can become angry about how you've allowed the enemy to manipulate you and deceive you, how you've allowed the the words of other people to be arrows to your heart and be twisted and deceived. I want you to understand, I'm going to ask you two questions. I'm going to pose two questions. And and all of us are going to find ourselves on one side of the spectrum. And you got to ask yourself the question today, what side do I find myself on? The first question is this. If you're angry about something, you're asking this question, God, how could you do this to me? Now that's one side of the spectrum. And your anger radiates this hatred towards God. Because remember what we've been saying throughout this entire series. Our emotions ultimately reveal our struggle with God. They reveal our struggle with God. It's not your struggle with somebody else. It's not really your struggle with your spouse. It's not really your struggle with your friend. It is your wrestle with God. Because if you dive down deep enough beneath the surface, you're really asking the question, are you really going to be good to me? Have I performed enough? Have I done well enough? Our emotions reveal our wrestle with God. So the first, the first question, the first side of the spectrum is this. When something happens to you, you're asking this question, God, how could you? Show of hands, how many have ever asked that question? God, how could you? I've served you, I've loved you, I've been faithful. How could you? You're either on that side or you can be on the other side, which is this. God, I don't like that I'm here but I will choose to remember the faithfulness of the past. See, that is the beauty about embracing your emotions is you can be honest with where you're at. Do you know that God is, he is not deterred or swayed by your honesty? And by the way, just because you don't say it out loud, he he already knows your thoughts. So you can say it out loud. (laughs) Like God, I don't like where I'm at. I'm frustrated where I'm at, but instead of staying where I'm at, I'm going to determine to remember how good you've been in the past. So I want to ask you this question, what side of the spectrum are you on today? Are you asking God, how could you? Or are you saying, God, I don't like where I'm at, but I will choose to remember. I will choose to remember. Listen, I don't have all the questions to some of the difficult, I don't have all the answers to some of the difficult questions that you face in life. We all have walked different stories and different journeys. We've all found ourselves in different chapters and some more difficult than others. Some have experienced unimaginable grief and sorrow and pain and loss. I don't have all the answers to all of those questions. But I can tell you in my own life, when I've struggled, when I've wrestled, when I've gone through the dark nights of the soul, the only thing that has carried me through that is finally realizing where I'm at and going, oh my gosh, the enemy is using, hear me on this, the enemy is using the difficulty and the trial that I am in to become bitter and angry at God. He's distorting it. 
You know what I began to realize? The very path that God was taking me down intentionally to build and shape and mold my character, that the enemy was on the same path trying to distort it. And it goes all the way back to Genesis, right? When, when the serpent deceives Adam and Eve, did God really tell you you couldn't eat the fruit? Did, are you sure that's what he told you? See, when you go through difficulty, you can use what, what, unrighteous, what righteous anger is, is all of a sudden realizing what the enemy is trying to do. And you say, you know what? No, no longer. No longer. I'm cutting it off. So here's the question. How do we transform unrighteous anger to righteous anger? What are we to do with our anger now? Like, what do we do with it? Do we just call unrighteous anger wrong, turn from it, and just choose to be kind? (laughs) Well, that's wrong, and I'm just going to treat people nice now. No, absolutely not. It doesn't work that way. I wish it was that simple. I wish it was just as simple as going, you know what, God, I'm just going to be kind from here on out. (laughs) And we just move past all the issues. That's not what it looks like. The truth is, in your anger, God is calling you into this mystery to begin to ponder, to begin to dive down deep, and to begin to get to the surface of what's really going on. And he says, let's have a conversation. Let's sit in this for a moment. Let's figure out what you're feeling and why you're feeling it. Because if you can figure out what and why, then you'll be able to get down to the root issue and God can meet you there. So here's what I want to do. When you're dealing with anger, how do we practically turn that into righteous anger rather than unrighteous anger? I want to give you three things this morning, practically. Number one, you've got to learn to be still. When anger rises, when things come up in your life that throw you off balance, that frustrate you, that anger you, number one, be still. Listen to what Psalms 37 says. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. I can wait, but I'm not patient. (laughs) Right? But I love how he throws that word in there. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently before him. Watch this. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways. Has it ever frustrated you when other people succeed and you don't? Just be honest for a moment. When they carry out their wicked schemes... Does that ever frustrate you when you see people that are not walking with the Lord, they're cutting corners, they're cheating, and they're succeeding? (laughs) Right? That's what he's saying. And then watch what the Lord says. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. It only leads to evil. So when something happens, you get in an argument with a spouse. You get in an argument with a friend. Here's what the scripture is telling us. Just be still for a moment. When you're angry, wait, stop, sit, don't move. In other words, don't quickly open your mouth. (laughs) Because anger is a catalyst that stirs us into battle. How many of you know whenever you get angry, you start putting on all your armor? You're like, oh, let's go. Let's go. Like, we're about to fight, right? I got my sword. I'm getting everything that I need. You're like, throw that sword. Give me the gun, right? Can I tell you something? Most of the battles that anger will draw us into is not worth your blood. (laughs) Most of the battles that anger will draw us into is not worth you bleeding all over the place. It's just not worth it. 
Because here's what I've learned. Unrighteous anger will never deepen your love for others and God. It'll never do it. You ever blown up on somebody and then all the things that you have to deal with, you go, man, that wasn't worth it. (laughs) That didn't go how I expected. So that's why the scripture says, when you're angry, be still. And here's what this means. Sit with the rage for a moment. Sit in the anger. Begin to ask yourself the question, why am I feeling this? So this leads me to point two. Be still. Number two, wait. Pause. Hold on. Now, in your waiting, I'm not asking you to deny the anger or pretend it's not there. Because how many know sometimes that's what we get really good at? Ah, I'll just pretend that it's not there and I'll just stuff it down and I'll just try to move on. How many know you never really move on? You may deceive yourself in thinking that you move on. You just become a really bitter person. Because now you've got all this stuff stuffed down in you, right? But here's what waiting does. And if you can get what I'm saying, you'll understand what righteous anger is. Waiting is choosing to understand the very soil that drew the rage to the surface in the first place. It, It means this. You're diving down deep into your soul and going, where did that come from? Because it didn't just happen. Why did I blow up on this person? Why am I so frustrated or angry at myself? You know what waiting is? Waiting at the end of the day is emotional maturity. (laughs) It's emotional maturity. Because it's like we've said through the series, you cannot be spiritually mature and emotionally immature. Waiting is spiritual maturity going, you know what, God, I don't have all the answers right now, so I'm going to wait. But if you're not careful, unrighteous anger will say, go to battle now. They hurt you, hurt them back. Go to battle. Doesn't matter who gets, comes out bleeding, no matter how many people you cut in the process, just go. But waiting forces you to reckon with the God who seems silent, withdrawn, or sometimes against us. But also, let's get practical. Waiting also avoids the damage that you're about to cause. (laughs) And all the repercussions that you have to deal with after, right? Because anger only, when you blow up on somebody, it only feels good in that moment. And then you walk away going, oh my God, what have I done? Now you've created a bigger problem. When we boil it all down, waiting drives us to deeper battle with God. What do I mean when I say battle with God? I mean this, when something or someone has frustrated you so deeply, rather than going to that person immediately, you go and you do battle with God going, you pray. You begin to pray for that person. God, I know, God, you know deeply in my heart, I want to kill them. Right? You begin to surrender and you begin to submit those heavy weights to God. And you begin to wait. And God, would you just meet me in this place? Would you do what only you can do? Because here's what I want you to understand. Deeper battle equals deeper revelation. And deeper revelation equals deeper intimacy with the Lord. And that's what we're all after. We want to be more connected with God. So in your anger, be still, wait. And then the third thing, ponder. This is a fancy word for think. (laughs) 
Psalms 4.4 says, in your anger, do not sin. When you are on your bed, search your hearts and be silent. So what, what does this mean? When you've taken that moment to be still, to wait, now you begin to think. You begin to ponder. Why am I really angry? What do I really want? Now, usually anger is like a bullet in a gun, isn't it? Something rattles you, somebody triggers you. So what do you do? You load, you aim, and you fire. (laughs) I'm angry, boom, right? But anger should be something like this. It should be more of like a misfired gun. So let me explain. You ever loaded a gun and thought it was on safety and then accidentally hit the trigger (laughs) and it went off and scared the heck out of you? I remember when I was a kid, no joke, uh, we were hunting and I was learning. Anybody remember the crack barrels to double down the barrel? So we had this crack barrel when I was growing up. We were hunting, put two in. And I remember I, I pop it back. And when I popped it back, somehow I pulled the trigger at the same time. And just boom. I mean, my dad was right there. My brothers were right there. And I was like, I mean, freaked all of us out. All of us. I remember for a while, you just set that gun down and you just kind of stand back like, oh my gosh, what just happened? That's what anger should be like. Something triggers you, something rattles you so deeply and rather than load, aim, fire, shoot the person, you step back and go, oh my gosh, I don't even know why I'm so angry, but I'm angry. And so you begin to ponder, you begin to think, God, what are you trying to do in this moment? So what should we be thinking about? Because I know practically speaking, you're like, well, Zach, what what do I need to think about? What do I need to ponder? I just want to kill them. That's what I need to think about, right? Revenge. (laughs) That's what I'm thinking about. So let me give you three practical things that you can ponder, that you can think about. Number one, ponder your desire. What do you really want? In that moment, what do you really want to accomplish through the anger? What does it accomplish? Maybe even think about the hardness that has clogged your heart to see redemption in that other person. Some of you know when you're angry, you're not in it for reconciliation, although that should be the purpose of it, but you're just in it for revenge and you're in it for blood, right? So ponder your desire. What do I really want out of this moment? Number two, this one really convicted me as as I was working through this this week. Ponder your own sin. Meaning this, this is the scriptural and biblical principle. Consider the log in your eye before the speck in the other. Because oftentimes, here's what you have to understand. Whatever failure or assault you hate in other people, you have to hate in yourself as well. (laughs) But how many know it's easier to just go, I'm frustrated at what other people are doing, and it doesn't even bother you if you do it. You're like, God, just give me grace for my own stuff, but kill them. (laughs) Right? Here's what you have to understand. If you hate the sin in your own heart, more than what we see in others, we will grow in righteous anger. We'll grow in righteous anger because all of a sudden you begin to see your own junk and you go, oh my God, I hate this in myself. And now when you look at other people because you're doing battle and you're doing war with God for the things that are in you, when you look at other people, you have compassion for them. So you begin to ponder that. The things that you hate in other people, do you actually hate in yourself? 
The sin that you see in other people that you hate, do you actually hate it in yourself? So ponder your desire, ponder your sin, and then the third one is just ponder God. Because whatever fury you have, whatever anger you have, is only a speck of what God delivered towards his son for you and me. Imagine the fury and the anger that he had. And he pours it all out on his son so that you and I could have a way. And when you ponder God and how big he is, you begin to grow in this awe. And you begin to realize and you begin to deepen. And you begin to understand what God's really trying to do in this moment. I've used this example before, but nobody, nobody stands at the edge of the Grand Canyon and goes, wow, I'm so amazing. (laughs) You stand at the edge of the Grand Canyon and just marvel and go like, wow, this is incredible. This is amazing. You travel to some of the greatest sites in the world and you see the mountains and you see the seas and you see these beautiful things and all you can do is have awe and wonder. See, when God is calling us to ponder, he's calling us to get to that place and our awe and wonder should come from, wow, God, the things that I'm angry at other people, I actually have that in myself, yet you still love me and forgive me. And we begin to have this awe and this mystery begins to come over us of saying, wow, I can't believe you love me. And that becomes the greatest news in the world and it brings you to a different place. So I wanna help you really quick. How do we live out of righteous anger? How do we live out of it? What does it look like? What is it there to accomplish? Because righteous anger, it is there to warn us, it's there to invite us to change, and it's also there to wound us. I'll explain that in a moment. But the first one is this. I'm going to give you three things. Number one, righteous anger exposes. It's a call that says, watch out, you're in danger of violating love and damage to yourself and other people. Meaning that when you see something in other people, if you can do it in a loving way, righteous anger should expose some stuff. So this may look like a hard, difficult conversation with people. But the warning should inform the person that you see that in, that a violation and an assault has occurred. But here's what I want you to understand. If you do it, It has to be done with grace. It has to be done with love. And here's what you have to understand. It should never take the freedom and responsibility away from the other person to go to God to solve what they need to solve. Your anger, your righteous anger is not there to force that other person to make a decision. It's there to expose it and you say, look, this is what the Lord has put on my heart. I could be wrong. This is what God has showed me. I want to present this to you. I'm just going to leave that in your hands and then I'm going to walk away. But here's what we do oftentimes with our own anger. We expose it and I'm going to sit here until you change. (laughs) And I'm going to keep calling you until you change. And I'm going to make you feel really low until you change. That's not righteous anger. 
that's you trying to do the work of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> so what, in other words, it's not your job to force somebody into a decision. You expose in love, then it's up to them to make the decision with the evidence that you've presented them. So righteous anger looks at the injustice. It looks at the things that are wrong in the world. You present the truth, and then you leave it to that person. I think sometimes we just don't actually trust the power of the Holy Spirit. We feel as human beings (laughs) that we need to intervene, right? And I need to do the work of the Holy Spirit. So So we end up taking on this mindset, I'm going to convict you, I'm going to help you walk through this process, I'm going to pour out all your flaws in the middle of it, and I'm going to ensure that you change. That's not conviction, that's control. (laughs) Right? So number two, the first thing that righteous anger does is exposes. The second thing that it does is it actually invites change. So the best way that I can explain it is this. Anger is like a surgical weapon designed to destroy ugliness and restore beauty. So so meaning this, uh, this is what Dan Allender said. He said, in the hands of one who is trained in love and who can envision beauty, watch this, the, the knife of righteous anger is a weapon for restoration the only time that you ever expose something in somebody else's life out of righteous anger is if you're willing to wound them, but also walk them through the process of healing and restoration. If you're there just to say something to get it off your chest, then you better keep it to yourself. The scriptures teach us that we're there and that anger that God gives you is there to restore something. The anger towards injustice that you have, it is actually compelling you to do something about it. Not just to say, I'm just angry, that's taking place. Do you look at our city and you're angry about certain things that you see? Go do something about it. Do you see something in somebody else? God's saying, it's like this. This is what we, 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 how we view anger oftentimes. Oh, I'll do the surgery, Lord. <laughs> so we come in like a baseball bat, just whacking people with our anger, Right? bludgeoning them to death. And then we walk away, pray that God will be with you. And they're hobbling on the floor like, oh my God, what just happened to me? But righteous anger comes in like a skilled surgeon, says, listen, man, you got some cancer. And here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna cut you open. It's not gonna feel good. I'm gonna take it out. I'm gonna sew you back up. And then I'm gonna, I'm gonna walk you through this process. I'm gonna lead you in a place of restoration. But if we're honest, it's easy to mask our anger through busyness or even deny the anger by blaming ourselves. It's actually safer to be irked on the surface and then go away privately fantasizing about harming that person. All right? How many have ever done this? Let's just be honest for a moment. A situation happens and it really angers you. It really frustrates you. And then the person kind of notices and they look at you and they say, are you okay? And you go, yeah. And then you walk away privately thinking like, I'm just, I'm going to destroy them. I'm going to blow their house up. <laughs> Something like, right? But how many know it's easier to do that? It's easier just to walk away and privately fantasize about, you know, you're looking up ways on the internet, how to kill them and get away with it. Like you're doing all these things privately. 
But righteous anger moves beyond the private fantasy, but it actually invites others to struggle with you. To say, hey, listen, I see some stuff in you. I'm willing to do the surgery. I'm even willing to put my friendship at risk. But I'm, I'm, I promise I'm willing to walk you through this. And can I just give a little caveat on the top of all this? If you ever call sin out in somebody else's life because you feel convicted about it and you feel like you can do it in a loving way, you know one of the best things that you can do is just lead with your weakness first. Just lead with your weakness first. I've learned this in counseling other people, especially with difficult topics. Because if you come to them and say, hey, look, I see this in you and this is bad and I can't stand this and we need to work through this. If you put yourself in a place where they immediately feel that you are above them, they're not gonna open up to you. So you know what I've learned to do? I just leave with my weakness. Hey, listen, man, here's where I was two years ago or here's what I'm walking through right now. And then I start with that. This invites change. When you're willing to walk with people through a process, they're actually usually willing to change. So the third thing, righteous anger wounds. Righteous anger wounds. Now, let me clarify this. It is focused, it is direct, and it never spews accusations. It wounds, but only wounds in order to heal. So it exposes. So what does this mean? We tell the truth because we want healing. We don't tell the truth because we need to get it off of our chest. And we're hoping that they'll feel terrible about themselves. If you hear anything that I say today, if you want to learn to be a good friend, here's what you have to understand. A true friend is one who gives and receives wounds. Think about that for a moment. A true friend is one who gives wounds and can receive them. If you're in a relationship and you're the only one that can expose something and as soon as somebody else exposes something else in your life and you're like, we're just not friends anymore. You don't even have a friendship. You're in a relationship with yourself. (laughs) Because righteous anger is a blow that hopes to guard from a potential even greater danger. We only wound somebody if we're willing to restore them. Righteous anger is like punishing your children. So what do we do? They do something that they're not supposed to. What do we do as parents? We inflict a consequence. We spank them. Why? We do this because in the moment the child is like, this is terrible, I can't believe I'm getting a spanking or I can't believe I'm getting a consequence. But you know, hey, if you ride on that street, you're gonna get ran over by a car. So what do you do as a parent? You shout and you holler and you grab them out of the street and you spank them, right? Don't do that again. That's a righteous anger saying, listen, if you keep going on this path, you're going to get hurt. We inflict pain in order to escape the horror of even more destructive harm. So I just want to invite you. I want to challenge you. I know this series has been a lot different than what we're usually doing. We've dove into some emotions and we've dredged some things up. To be quite honest, some of you don't want to be dredged up. You don't want to feel. You don't, you're not comfortable talking about them. And that's okay. But I really do feel like God wants to do something as we wrap this up. If you're frustrated, if you're angry, 
you have some kind of quarrel towards your brother or your sister, can, can I tell you this? You have to learn to be honest with other people, but you have to learn to do it in a truthful and graceful and loving way that will restore them to redemption. But I also know what the Bible says, a house divided cannot stand. So if you got something between a friend, between a spouse, I want to lovingly invite you into a place where you can drop your own guard And how many know when we go in to confront somebody or we're going to talk about something that has been angering us, we bring our list, right? We bring all our evidence to the table of going, oh, I'll apologize, but I need to get this, 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 this out of the way, right? And so what we end up doing is we apologize, but in a way that is proving to them that you didn't really need to apologize in the first place, right? So it's not really even an apology. What would it look like if all the things that you have, instead of going to battle with that other person, that you took that to the Lord and you said, God, I'm just going to submit and I'm going to surrender that to you and I'm going to do your redemptive work. So I'm going to go talk to these people. I don't have to bring up all the details. I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to surrender the unrighteous anger to you. I'm going to confront them with a righteous anger that says, I don't want to stay like this anymore. I'm going to look at the ways that the enemy has deceived me, the lies that I've chosen to believe throughout this whole process. I'm going to surrender. I'm going to submit that to the Lord. And then I'm going to move on. And then I'm going to move on. So as I bring this to a close, I just want to encourage you. We've been dredging up some deep things within our souls. We've been talking about some hard things. We've talked about shame. We've talked about anxiety and depression. We've talked about fear and worry. We've talked about anger. We've talked about why we suppress our emotions. So I just want to end this series with this one fundamental thought. Could it be that the reason that you don't feel like you're getting what you need from the Lord or the reason that you're spiritually dry, or the reason that you're like, God, I'm showing up to church. I'm trying to get involved in the life group. I'm trying to do everything that I can, and I feel like I'm getting nothing out of it. Could it be that there's things in our soul that we're not willing to let go of? And through this series, God is just saying, man, if you would just give me that, I could do so much more. That there's a freedom in actually letting go and surrendering our own control and letting God take over, letting him drive, letting him steer. And that can be scary, right? When somebody else is in control and it's not you. I'm not the greatest driver in the world. My wife is terrified when she actually rides with me. I'm also a control freak when it comes to that. It's like, nobody's driving, I'm driving. Right? I think we take that ideology into our own life sometimes. And I think that this is what this series has at least hopefully attempted to do. Is to begin to expose the things that we've held on to because we just like control. Hopefully it's exposed the anger. Hopefully it's put a name to it. Hopefully it's exposed the depression, put a name to it. 